let's do a month where we only live on the pharmacy. And it's like you eat all the food and then you shit in your diaper, your adult diaper that you buy. Because that's what happens when you eat that stuff. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Landline Podcast. I am your host, Alex McKay. Podcasting this introduction from a luxury apartment on Central Park West in New York City. Another episode from the porch with Saul and I that is a few weeks old, but the content is as fresh as the pharmacy stories we tell. Enjoy the show. Tell a friend. Landline on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TalkForAliving.com. Call us up, 617-744-1895. Email us, landlinepodcast at gmail. And stay tuned for our new format, new episodes coming up as the fall becomes closer. Enjoy, folks. Welcome back to Landline Podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Alex versus Saul, Saul versus Alex at the Nepotism Studios in Hanover, New Hampshire. Beautiful Sunday afternoon. Summertime is the best, um, or it's one of the best. And uh, we're going to do a little more complaining, talking, analyzing, getting our point across, and entertaining you. General Schadenfreude. That's right. We should. There should be a General Schadenfreude, like a German general from like the Austro-Hungary empire <laughs> who lost about four war- wars before being beheaded <laughs> and, and everyone was so glad <laughs> um so i am back in my hometown for 48 hours see some friends and check in parents are at the summer house so i got the place to myself and one thing about this summer my wife and i are living apart um which you know for the most part is no good but there are you know, minor benefits to it. Uh, just because you have a lot of alone time to whatever it is you're into. You can podcast, you can work more, you can, you know, organize the kitchen the way you like. You can be guaranteed that the dishwasher is actually organized properly. Um, just the little things. Again, mostly negative. There are some upsides. But one thing is I've been traveling a lot on the weekends to see her, to see friends. It's basically just the, like, white Anglo-Saxon summer of having to go someplace on the weekends in order to feel normal. Um, Weddings, vacation homes, what what else? I mean, it's like, it's like, it's one percenter problems. I'm not part of the one percent, but I do like to have a one percenter problem. Like, complaining about traffic on the way to the Cape, that's not a first world problem that's a one percenter problem i feel like that's a new term that we could probably get out there i think we could yeah I think problems could. of the one percent um, and who doesn't aspire to have those things exactly you aspire to have those traffic jams in your life because with your college education you can complain about them better than anyone as a one percenter so um i got rejected from harvard and only got into princeton <laughs> exactly um, or like, I can't believe this caviar they flown it, flew in was spoiled. <laughs> or <laughs> not even. Anyway. Like, I can't believe they don't have my brand of Greek yogurt at the Whole Foods in, in uh, East Hampton. So, That's like a 5% of problem. <laughs> 
So anyways, uh, traveling a lot and not always having the opportunity during the week to get all my errands done. So here I am in a beautiful uh, bucolic, a word I've never understood the definition of, idyllic. Of uh, relating to the countryside. Oh, okay. There you go. A bucol- bucolic New-, New Hampshire town with some strip malls available um, in the periphery. So I thought I would accomplish some tasks and one of the major tasks that uh, now this ties into so many different elements. I'm excited to talk to you about it, Saul. I really am, because um, the first thing that this story really represents is this horrible, um, this horrible trend I have, this horrible habit I have of just misplacing everyday common items over the course of the day. We're talking keys. You've, you've been terrific at that your whole life. Keys, wallet. It's like keys, wallet, sunglasses. Marijuana. <laughs> anything anything related to, you know, a daily necessity. Um, and you end up after the course of a week of being by yourself. So that's the other thing. See, when you have your partner around, it becomes a dance with them, like not mentioning that you lost the thing again because you don't want to get yelled at or framing the misplacement of it with them always nagging you or in fact asking them to help you find it that's usually the my go-to so it's like having another pair of eyes who knows that you're just haphazard with your belongings and will look out for things but one thing i am um nearsighted um so i need to i need glasses to see far right that's 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 nearsighted or am i farsighted i i need glasses to see distance okay so i i'd say that Pretty sure it's nearsighted. Yeah, Yeah. I'm near. I can see near. I'm nearsighted. I can read, but I can't read the uh, exit sign from 300 yards away. Small trivia note: I was with you last time you went eyeglass shopping. It was in November of 2006, and that afternoon we'd fly out of Manchester Airport to Las Vegas for the Floyd Mayweather Carlos Baldomir fight with uh, Gabe and Tim. And you got a pair of beautiful horn-rimmed spectacles that your mom criticized for being ugly. And then I got in a small argument with her when I defended them. On the stairs. Yeah, I had a mustache going, too. and I, draw, I we Mustache leather jacket borrowed from me. Pleather, yep. It was leather. Was it? Was it was leather. Super 8 Let's camera. Let's get a public retraction there. Doing a big big hipster thing then. That was fun. I think I... Did I pay for a plane ticket to leave early that Vegas trip? That's of course usually, you did. It's usually what I do. You were lying in bed with me and Gabe and then stormed out of the room through a phone book and went to the airport. <laughs> Man, that that's... So, should we tell that story instead of me complaining about the pharmacy? <laughs> well, this is a better story, no matter what story you're about to tell. I don't know if our listeners really... Um, <laughs> it's It's not one for the delicate-minded. All right. Well, <laughs> uh, well, what happened? Do you remember the details? In Las Vegas? Yeah. Of course I do. I lost a I lot. I remember of, everything. I lost a lot of money playing blackjack, and then I convinced everyone to loan me some, which I then promptly lost. It, it started when the the shadows settled over the sunny day when we arrived in Vegas, and the three of you said we have to just each take a hundred dollars. And put it on the roulette table because we're going to win and it's going to be a great sign of things to come. So I was in grad school then. I just borrowed 50 grand. I didn't really want to put $100 down within two minutes of arriving in Vegas. But I did it. And we actually got people so 
excited and enthusiastic because when you place a you know four hundred dollar bet, it's a it's a decent chunk of change for you know five p.m. on a slow roulette table, and we got people so excited that I remember at least one or two guys saying, "Hey, I'm I'm on your train. Let me hitch my wagon," and putting their own money down. So suddenly we generated a lot of action for the casino on this one bet. And we put it obviously on black, right? Black was the color, or red. Well, no, we put it on, <laughs> yeah, black or red. Okay, good enough. And of course, it came up <laughs> the opposite color, <laughs> whatever, whatever it was. So um, instantly, we had lost four hundred. And my unspoken question was, if us gambling and winning this first bet was a sign of all the good things that come then what does it mean as an omen for us to lose on the very first bet? Uh, so anyway, then we we walked out of the casino, and we were all in bad moods because even Gabe at that point in time cared about $100 a little bit. And we were standing on the steps kind of wondering what to do next. And then you had this kind of electric bolt determination to shoot through your body from the tips, tips, tips of your toes to the front of your nose, and you said, I'm not I'm not standing for this. I'm not allowing the casino to just win like this. And I'm going back inside to win back my money. And I couldn't have admired you more, at least for this sort of lightning electricity flash of determination. You were General Schadenfreude on your horse, galloping back into battle towards the giant row of tanks that was facing you. So the three of us, we literally didn't even bother to do anything. We just we stood there exactly where we were outside the casino having the air conditioning just sort of blasting down from the, one of the overhead vents and the bellhops eyeing us, wondering if we were going to tip them for a cab or not, which we obviously were not. And I think you were gone maybe 45 seconds, maybe, possibly less, certainly not more. And then you came back out, and as it turned out, you had taken another $100 to win back your first $100 and put it on the same roulette table, and we <laughs> said, how'd it go? And you said only one word, green. Wow. Green. So now, for those of you, why don't you explain the concept of roulette and green? No, I think everyone knows green. Green's like 50 to 1, right? There's, there's, there's you have an incredibly low chance of hitting green, but if you do, it means everyone loses unless you bet on green. Which is you get a big payday. But we'll, we'll continue the rest of that Vegas story over the course of all the podcasts. There's just the beginning. You've built to the beginning. I like that. The next chapter in Vegas will come next episode. All right, so I lose things, money, but also things around the house. <laughs> um, so one thing that has become very important to our nearsighted family is what we're calling the shroud, which is the lens cloth. Oh, and, yeah. And when you have expensive glasses, like my wife and I do, because we are short-sighted in addition to being nearsighted, and we finance things like glasses because I can convince anyone that if they're going to wear something every day that it's worth several hundred dollars. And if it's going to be something that styles them or makes them you know, look a certain way, it needs to look as good as possible. So we both have... I like that, both nearsighted and short-sighted. We're nearsighted and short-sighted. And we, ha- we both have sunglasses and regular glasses. And my wife's already gotten LASIK one time in her life way too early, and it's already gotten it's already backslid. LASIK's bullshit. It turns out my dad got it right when it came out. His, he went to Canada. He went he to Canada to before it was legal here. Contacts are contacts. Wait, did it work out for him? No, he had to get glasses again. <laughs> really? Yeah. 
So everyone listening, LASIK does not work. Yeah, all those sports radio ads you've heard for Dr. So-and-so to do LASIK, it's, it's bullshit. It, it goes away after 15 years. Don't get LASIK. And um, so anyways, the holy shroud. The shroud is the cloth that can safely clean your glasses. And you need one around because you really shouldn't be using your T-shirt or anything else on your glasses. Now, what's the material? It's kind of a, a silken it's a ter- It's like terry. No, it's not terry cloth. Yeah, it's... Some sort of synthetic, uh, sort of gauzy, silky composition. Yeah, not gauzy. It's very smooth. I mean, it's it's probably natural fiber and plastic is what it really is. But it's a very smooth. You know, it's a lens cloth. Sure. Um, it's like a tiny little smooth chamois for your glasses. A chamois. So we've got we've probably had a dozen of them around the house the last six months, but all of them were misplaced on this trip up to Hanover. And I had some greasy sunglasses, some greasy glasses, and there's nothing worse than looking through a pair of glasses that aren't clear, if you ask me. I have very sensitive, like, vision requirements, and these weren't meeting them. So I went to CVS this morning to find a lens cloth. This is something that I feel should be squarely in CVS's area of expertise, and I've even gone into pharmacies, I feel like, and bought like a three-pack for two ninety nine, And that is a good feeling. That's one of those classic editions of I can't believe the thing that's going to make me happy is so cheap. I feel like there's a lot of stuff at the hardware store that's like that. Or like you fix your toilet and it costs you three ninety nine, And you can't believe that your world has become so much better because the toilet doesn't run anymore. So anyways, CVS... They have a market cap of $104 billion. For all you uh, wow. financial neophytes out there, or people who just don't pay attention to that stuff, that means if you take all of the shares that have been issued and multiply it by its current price, which is approximately, I think, I don't know, 90 bucks, that you have $104 billion of paper that has been issued. And that's the market value of it. So if Walgreens wanted to buy CVS and they made an offer, they'd have to pay around $100 billion. It's a significant amount of money by any stretch, right, Saul? I mean, there's no... It's a lot of money. Actually, they'd have to pay quite a bit more because of the premium to actually buy the place. Exactly. Unless they were, like, tanking and then they could probably, you know, they CVS would have to take a haircut, so to speak. but Or the shareholders would. So anyways... The, the best thing about any pharmacy, as far as I'm concerned, is how dedicated they are to the air conditioning. You go into a pharmacy and you can guarantee that it is a respite from the summer heat. They are blasting air conditioning in pharmacies. I don't know if they need to keep the birth control pills uh, cold or if there's some sort of like cancer medicine in the back or what. But I it's, think they want you to come in and they don't want you to leave. Yeah, it's like it's they've got... And, you know, pharmacies now are selling all the commodity food, all the stuff you could have bought in that gas station in Nebraska that you complained about last podcast. You can can buy wine. You can buy nail clippers. You can buy peanuts. You can buy notebooks. Anything you need. Anything that's manufactured en masse in a, a country that supports slave labor and in a country where there are no regulations about dumping toxic chemicals into the rivers and lakes, they ship that stuff over and they sell it at CVS. That's basically the business model. Now, there used to be a time, and now we're here here goes Alex. He's going to get on his landline. Here comes General Schadenfreude getting on his landline high horse. Galloping towards the tanks. Okay. There used to be a time when the pharmacy was a little place downtown. The drugstore. The drugstore. The Hanover drugstore. 
You went there for Eastman's Pharmacy lozenges. Yes, obviously yes, your your prescriptions. Which ta- is there any business out there that is as profitable, but I have less to do with than than pharmaceuticals? I don't think so. I've I've had four pharmaceutical prescriptions in my life. I feel like, um, and it's all been penicillin basically. Um, but anyways, I'm sure that basically you come into that part of your life later. Obviously. We'll attack the pharmaceutical industry next. Yeah, next another episode. pod. So um, the drugstore. OK, you've got um, your your Dapper Dan, your Dippity Do, your your various brands of hair gel. If your, you need chestnut mustache wax, you're probably going to find it. Definitely. All the the, the entire range of Clubman products. Clubman, great company. Bra, uh, brushes, talcum powder, gold bond, whatever. You've got stuff you use on your body, both behind the counter and over the counter. Those are the terms, right? It was not an emporium of Frito-Lay products as of even 10 years ago. It was not a way for Mars and Cadbury to have a you know, to join into one company and then, like, pump every single distribution outlet full of, like, bullshit seasonal M&Ms. It's not what pharmacy originally was. So you, so you go in there and you're looking for a toothbrush, toothpaste, because you forgot those when you came up here, and some shrouds, some holy shrouds for your glasses. Here's the first problem. I knew that the glassware stuff was going to be backed by the pharmacy. Anytime you're back by the pharmacy counter, you have this feeling of, am I out allowed to ask the pharmacy where something is? And to me, the answer is no, they don't know. They're like a separate entity inside that store. They don't stock the shelves, do they? I mean, they, they, do the people who work there stock the shelves? Mm-mm. Do the pharmacists stock the shelves? Oh, no, they're totally separate. Right, so there's two counters. There's a counter you pay, because I know this is taking forever. There's a counter you pay at, and then there's a pharmacy counter, and they're at opposite ends of the store. If the store is a rectangle, the back end is the pharmacy, the front end is the payment. So if you need anything in the back third of the store, and pharmacies are fucking huge, by the way. They're enormous at this point. Who needs all this stuff? Like, maxi pads that fuck you in the ass. Like... (laughs) <laughs> you know, uh, suntan lotion that's good for when you're in a buggy area and bug spray that's good for when you're in a sunny area. Like toothbrushes that double as vibrators and vibrators. It's all there. Plus, there's the whole frozen pizza section. They have so many frozen pizzas. I mean, Super Size Me was such an amazing movie because it just allowed somebody like me to realize... Let's do a month where we only live on the pharmacy. And it's like you eat all the food and then you shit in your di- your adult diaper that you buy. Because that's what From happens when you eat that stuff. <laughs> so anything in the back third of the store, you're screwed because you're like, great, I'm going to have to go back up to the front of the store where, ask where somebody is. And listen, people don't – first of all, it, when it was the drugstore, the guy – who was the pharmacist before he opened, stocked all the shelves, or he had Larry, the high schooler, come in and do it, and he knew where everything was. Because he owned it. Because he owned it. And because there was a limited amount of products, and because it was probably a fifth of the square footage of the pharmacies we're dealing with now. And because his market cap was not $104 billion, and he really gave a damn if he came back. He went to school board meetings at night. 
He like listened to the ball game on the weekends and he made sure that if somebody was allergic to something, he never gave it to them. He know he knew Mrs. You know, uh, Vandersloot's prescriptions by heart. And he would always make sure she never like drank too much gin when she was taking that bee sting, bee, bee sting ointment or whatever the hell it was. Right, it's Mrs. Vandersloot. Don't have that second glass of Campari and beef eater. Right, until after your bee stings healed. Exactly, and he probably he was the one who was having the cocktail party. But anyways, he might have been still a weird guy, and you know, thinning hair, and like he was divorced. He lived above the pharmacy. <laughs> right, so they were... call the cops on teenagers if they shoplifted condoms more than three times in a month. But he what he did kind of get a semi hard on when. They were buying the condoms in the first place or whatever. <laughs> so anyways, the that's, other that's Larry, the pharmacist. The, uh, the other thing is that there aren't the people who work there. They're encouraging you to buy your own stuff. They're encouraging you to check out on your own, just like the grocery store now. And the self checkout is nice because you don't have to go through the do you have an ace rewards card? Do you have a this? Do you have the rewards card? Do you have this? Do you have that? How are you doing today? I know you don't care, but the corporate like documents tell you you have to ask you should be able to scan twice slide your card ask the 55 questions that the verifone thing asks you and then get the hell out of there without getting three plastic bags now what i always hate about self-checkouts is i get impatient and i put my put my items in a bag or i take a bag and then suddenly the digital scale thinks i'm shoplifting right that's the other thing. It's like a 15-minute process of balancing the items. You just want to shove them in your cargo short pockets and get out of there. But no, you have to like put – please put the item back on the scale. Please put the item in the bagging area. It's Anyways, I think there are some benefits to the automatic checkout. However, it means that there's less staff in the store. So you go up, and I asked, where are the eyeglass cloth and they said oh back by the pharmacy of course they're back by the pharmacy right terrible answer so get out from behind that thing and show me where they are i want i can't i asked you because i couldn't find them if i could have found them i would be paying already i now, can't just find to inter- them just to interject and I'll, I'll talk about maybe one or two counter examples in a minute i i feel like it's it's fine to take a firmer course of action and kind of Gently grab the skinny little twit by his elbow and lead him around the counter and say, you're going to show me right now because you can't just tell me it's somewhere at the back of either aisle 18 or 17B if you remember correctly. It's not good enough. I am a firm believer that you're allowed to make them show you physically and point to it. And then if they get it wrong, they're the ones who have to say, I'm sorry, let me walk you around the store until I find where it actually is. So the first guy says, or the first woman says it's back there or whatever. I can't find it. And I go back to the front. And I it sounds like I'm just going to flail out on this story. But actually, the big finale is something that is just tangentially connected to this. Now, just, just to add a sort of uh, visual dynamic uh, for our audience to imagine, let's say the graphic we had on our screen, if we had a screen, was a pot of boiling water. And he walked into the pharmacy, and there wasn't any bubbles. It was nice and cold. The flame had just been turned on. Where where were you on this graphic right now? How close to a boil? The not, second time, not close, have. because I ended up going three different places to find what I wanted. So that's when I was like boiling over. So you can't, I can't be boiling the whole time. That's the no. Thing. I mean, I mean, by the by the first or second time you came back to the counter, unable to find the shroud, were you at like a light simmer? 
I mean, I was I was at a simmer. I, I I've come to expect this sort of idiocracy in places like this. Anyway, idiocracy, I, I, great word. Well, Bill, that movie, right? Idiocracy, but it's like the it's not a Bill Maher movie. That's a that's a different movie. But the idiocracy is a great movie. Um, and it, I went back to the counter. I got the guy to show me. He brought me back to the place they were, and they were disposable. They were moist, disposable, disposable. Of Ugh. course they are. Of course, because because ultimately everything that we get from China, we're just going to throw out and ship back there anyway. So why don't we, let's not even make something somebody can use for two weeks. Let's make it something they can use once. Also, there's nothing <laughs> I want more when I'm shining my glasses up than a wet film to leave on them so that I then need to find another shroud to polish them up with. I just want the shroud. And how in this store that is making a hundred or as is worth a hundred billion dollars that has everything that has 17 different kinds of checks mix how that has regionally released Chex Mix. It's like it's different in California where there's a lot more Mexican Americans than in New Hampshire where it's like maple bacon Chex Mix. How do they not have a selection of five different shrouds? How's the one thing that I need not there? Sorry. Beca- just- no, because they these stores are making their customers an inherent promise that when you walk in, they will have what you're looking for. That's her promise to you. Isn't that the whole reason they put everybody else out of business? And and the fact is that they put everyone else out of business, but they're not even a better product. Like, wasn't the world better with the drugstore? Some people might say no. But I just, I, I mean, the two things that I took away from this experience. One, I have no idea who would ever want to work that job. And I just don't mean like, oh, I'm better than that. Because I get we all, I've, I've had a lot of shitty jobs. Saul and I could do an incredible podcast about that. And we will someday. I've worked hard. I've washed a lot of dishes. But what I'm saying is like, you can't survive in this country by making $13 an hour working at a CVS unless the government is subsidizing your life. It's very difficult. And so like, what is it? And, and also all you're doing is like stocking things and like, there's no like local person that you're supporting by doing this it's all just like a series of regional managers i mean i guess there might be a franchise model involved here but like for the pharmacy thing it's one thing because like you're getting paid seventy five thousand dollars a year but like if you're just like you know stocking them i mean you're not even checking people out people are checking themselves out so you don't even get the human interaction but the the part that really i want people to know about is this I read this incredible article at business school this year um, in a marketing class, and it was a New York Times Magazine article. And if you Google target um, data or target you know, data mining, you'll find it. But it was basically about this data scientist at Target who was in charge of creating this incredible algorithm that would take all of the information that they were getting based on what people were buying and then do targeted couponing, offering, uh, customer outreach. So this gets back to the whole like rewards card thing. This gets back to that entire interaction you have at every single chain store, which is do you have a rewards card? Do you have a card? Do you want to sign up for our program? This, that. Do you have a phone number you can put on the, in on the pit pad, pin pad? 
if you think about how cheap all of this stuff is and you wonder why the local pharmacy doesn't exist anymore, it's because they're getting undercut on price. Now, there's definitely economy of scale. There's definitely big time, you know, hedge fund style people who are taking over board seats and making things as efficiently as possible and looking at every single element of the business in order to maximize their profit margins. 100%, I get it. But on top of all that, they can afford to charge so little for all this stuff because what they're really making money on is your data. They're collecting all your data. And this target study in the New York Times Magazine, the specific anecdote that I think is so powerful, is what Target can do is they can actually know when someone's pregnant before they do. Not because they bought a pregnancy test, but because the kinds of things they buy right before they get pregnant, they figured out the mathematical model for that. So they can actually start sending coupons, direct mailings, emails out to people that starts getting like dipping their finger dipping their toe into the pregnancy so what's an example of that what what give me some things that i'd buy if i wanted to be pregnant like Like cocoa butter to rub over my skin like soap candles specific things you're buying specific things you do to create a romantic mood no i don't know it doesn't even have to be directly connected to like the sex or the anything there's just like a set of items that people buy that they have mathematically proven is a precursor to them being pregnant. And the like exclamation point on that story was that there was this girl in the Midwest someplace and she kept on getting all of this pregnancy um, flyers and coupons sent to her house. And her dad got pissed. She was like 16. And he finally called up Target and was like, yo, what the F? This is disgusting. This is promiscuous. This is not, my daughter's not pregnant. She's 15 years old. She's 16 years old. This isn't happening. You've got your algal. Jokes on you, Mr. Smith. Jokes. It was. (laughs) She was three months, she was pregnant three months later. Yeah. And they had predicted it. And so what I would like everyone to start thinking about is that 30 cents you're saving on deodorant, that 50 cents you're saving on your, you know, PVC piping at the Ace Hardware, all the rewards card bullshit at the supermarket. Over the course of your life, how much money are you going to save? Do you think you're going to save $10,000? Do you think you're going to save $20,000? It's like how much do you save a year? And this would be, that was the business excavator that I wanted to do for the week. I remembered it. I want someone to set up this study. It's the amount of money a person saves by the year, and then you could have, have an actuary talk about how long they're going to live, multiply it, and you could say to everyone, you have two choices. You can either share your data and have every company know everything about you for the rest of your life and have them know exactly who you are, what you buy, why you buy it, when you're going to buy it. They can sell it all over. Facebook will buy it. Facebook will target your feed based on it. Everyone will want everything about you. And ultimately, if you're a certain demographic, the government will end up buying it and investigating you. Or you can just say, you know what, you can have the $10,000 and you can pay for everything at these places in cash. But so my question is, what about a place like Amazon that just knows all of that anyway, no matter what you tell them? I don't buy stuff off Amazon. I have a Prime account. Well, I have a am I watch stuff on Amazon, so they know that. I mean, it's like how Netflix makes their money. Netflix sells our data to people based on what we watch, and they also use our data to understand what we're going to want. I mean, well, they also make money from a subscription model where every right. person who has Netflix is paying them to watch. But their subscription model works so well because they're so good at, at giving us content that we want to see. I mean, Absolutely, now, yeah. now they can create content. They can create House of Cards 
by building the model of a show. They can write a show based on what they know a certain demographic of people like to watch. Yeah, of course. So it's brilliant. But I'm just putting that out for people. Instead of entering your phone number and saving three bucks on like the three pack of Irish Spring, just don't give it to them. What do you think, Saul? Well, I mean, I don't know. Just for, just for example, we can figure out hard numbers. Like I'd I'd say a target I spend very comfortably, let's say a thousand bucks a year, just ro- ballpark figure. Okay. And a target red card, which functions as a debit card. Uh, saves you five percent on all purchases, no exceptions. So let's say off that thousand bucks a year, you're saving fifty bucks a year. So we can more or less do the math. You know, there's probably years where I've spent more at Target. Uh, probably years I've spent less, like when I didn't know about Target twenty years ago. But fifty bucks times a lifetime, you know, it's a lot of money. Fifty years, let's say, of Target Red. That's twenty five hundred dollars, and then you've got how many retailers where that's happening? So it's fifteen grand. But so you're getting you're so basically people are paying you fifteen grand to know everything about your purchasing habits. But here's here's my thing, Alex. I th- I think that num- number one, I think that more and I, okay, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start by saying I I know this is the wrong attitude. It's it's the attitude of people who say like, I I won't cast a vote and win or lose an election. So why should I bother to vote? Because one vote doesn't matter, which is like the worst possible attitude you can have. But for data for data analysis i i hate to say it cuz i shouldn't say it but my view is just one of somewhat nihilistic fatalistic defeatism that i think that my data has been stolen so many times and taken so many times and wrested from me so many times i've had my pockets picked so many times that at this point why shouldn't I, as the little guy, just try to save a few bucks if I can? Just for example, in the past, and I, I'm moving away from this a little bit, but That's I mean, fine. I do, I do use the CVS save a buck or two loyalty thing. I do use the Target thing. I don't do it everywhere. I think there's some loyalty programs that are not worth it, but I do, I do a lot of them. But in the last, in there's a, a single twelve month period where I had my data, my my real data, not like what I whether I buy like Old Spice or Right Guard, but my actual data, stolen three different times. One was the huge Target hack. Turns out that I shop at Target along with uh, 150 million other Americans that year, and so now now a Chinese hacker has my data, my credit card information, presumably my date of birth, my address, whatever else. Same year, up oh, here we go. I shopped at Home Depot. Next thing I know, some little Russian hacker sitting in Siberia somewhere has my Home Depot data from that credit card that I used. Now, case in point, obviously, Home Depot and Target don't really do anything to compensate me for the fact that they're shitty and want to save some dollars on security and don't actually protect me from getting my data stolen. But nonetheless, it's gone, you know, no matter what. Um, And then the next time was ironic because you read about that huge government hack where they stole the Office of Homeland Security data or whatever that was for every government employee. And I've done many things in life. I haven't, to my knowledge, worked for the government. And yet, sure enough, I got a letter signed by the director of Homeland Security or whatever the department is. Uh, And it's not Homeland Security. It's like, uh, like interpersonal affairs or something like that. 
uh, saying congratulations, your data has been stolen yet again because it turns out that every time you get a background check, it runs through the government at some point. And so six years ago when I had a background check, my file was then on hand to be stolen by maybe this time the North Koreans or something like that. <laughs> so I can't help but have a, this very like fatalistic view of like I've been just sort of like sliced and diced so many different times, my poor data, that at this point, what can I even do about it but try to save a buck or two? Well, look, you and everyone else is is uh, being part of the system, um, and, and I'm sure I am too for the most part because there are some places where I'll occasionally put a phone number in or like today I saved 25% on a new tent at Eastern Mountain Sports because and, and let me tell you let me just tell you one other thing when when I talk about and I publish these chapters in my forthcoming book due I think November 2018 called how to screw the corporations that are screwing you and people give me these weird looks because of these strategies that I espouse this is why I do it because I don't like the fact that they can screw you over and you can't screw them over I think that in a perfect world, you should screw each other consensually, and that's or non-consensually. <laughs> Don't read into that too much, and that's and that's exactly what um what I believe in. So for me, when people look at me weird because I say if I have, if I have a woodworking project and I go to Home Depot and I buy the most expensive set of power tools that they have, and then I use them, and then a week later I come back and return them and get all of my money back. I don't think that's cheating the system. I think that's playing within a system that is designed for people to cheat each other. And when I go to Target and I buy an air conditioner because I'm hot out, and then a month later when it's not hot anymore, I return that air conditioner and I get my money back. I'm not saying, oh, poor Target, I took advantage of it. I'm saying I finally f won one tiny little skirmish in a war that I've been losing since the day I was born. And when I go to movie theaters and... I eat my popcorn and then I decide I want more popcorn and I tell them that some asshole next to me knocked my popcorn over so they have to give me a new bag for free. And then when I'm walking out and I tell them that there was a baby in the theater even though there wasn't and that they need to give me movie tickets to replace the fact that they ruined my movie for me and they ask me how many people are in my party and obviously even though I go to the movies alone 100% of the time, I lie and say my girlfriend was with me, but she was so upset she already walked out of the theater because her experience was ruined, that, yes, I need two tickets instead of one. And again, that to me is not me screwing the movie theater. That's me having consexual sex with a movie theater that has been screwing me right and left since the day I was born in the first movie I ever saw. I don't feel bad about these things. Yeah, you shouldn't. You should not. But you do recognize that the system is broken if that's how... Like, I do the same thing. I'm all about taking stuff back uh, if it's truly broken. And I'm all about getting a free basket of popcorn if the air conditioning in the theater is broken, which you can hear about on the movie Annex on Landline Podcast. Uh, I think that was the lobster episode. Um, but you know that there's an underlying problem. If things are being made so cheap that Home Depot, even if... 15% of everything bought at Home Depot is returned. They're still making exorbitant profits. That's not like a sustainable model long-term for the resources on the planet. It is a sustainable long-term model for Home Depot until there's no more like silicon to mine in eastern China, and then they're screwed, right? I mean, like creating all this crap 
and returning all this crap and all of the, you know, forget about if you're an environmentalist or not. There is a there is a finite amount of resources on the face of the earth. We have an exponentially growing population. We are creating more stuff than we ever have before. And everything is now disposable. Everything has a, a shorter shelf life from, I mean, just clothing. Think about the clothing everyone's wearing. People used to wear one loincloth their whole life. And now people have new sweaters every Christmas because the bullshit they wore from the previous year is done after three years or three wearings. So, yes, everyone should Let's screw- go find the one loincloth model. Yeah, well, I mean, this is what I've been trying to get you to do with suits. Like, yeah, you, you kill one cheetah early on in your life, and then you just wear it, and then you die in that cheetah cloth. That's it, and yeah, I mean, but so that's the thing. I will, I will, I will push back on you on this one, because in the last episode of the, uh, our last part of this podcast, you talked about the idea of like it's good to be scared. It's also good to have to pay a lot for something because it means that you're getting more value out of it. I would argue that paying a little bit more to sacrifice or to, to not sacrifice your data is a higher value transaction for you. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I just think, again, that my data is gone either way. All right, well, not if you pay with cash. I mean, I guess you're saying they... they yeah, I don't want to become a, like a cash. I don't want to become like Ben and Jerry with the cash thing. It's just not right now. But We're, we're not advocating a return to the gold standard. Well, so that mind. that's the pharmacy story. Just just you guys should Google. Um, you know what? So I'll kill a little time here. Um, and uh, I'll find that. I'll find the name of that article and I'll tell everyone about it. Well, here's OK. So here's here's and I hate the idea of me just killing time. I think every word that I say is brilliant and nothing is killing time. It's just luxuriating in the hot bath of time as it passes. But. When I went to a Target recently, I was in California. I flew back last week for meetings, and obviously I forgot my contact lens holders, uh, which are a pretty important piece of the travel itinerary. So I went into a Target because there were two. I got off work, and there were two things I wanted, which was a bottle of red wine so I could sit in the hot tub drinking it and also contact lens holders so that I could put my contacts in them instead of having to use a pair of water cups, which I'd used the night before because I'd forgotten them. So I went there and I, I found some young fellow, probably 13 years old, in his red vest with his name tag, uh, probably a name like Brendan or, um, you know, Johnny, I'd imagine. And he told me when I told him, I, I spent 20 minutes, by the way, looking for contact lens holders. And then finally, I couldn't find him. I gave up and I found him and said, we don't sell these. So this is a store that's probably upwards of 100,000 square feet, and they don't have contact lens holders. It infuriated me, and I said, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. I actually didn't say I'm sorry. I just said, I said, you're wrong. That's not possible. And that was me bullying him with my willpower of me wanting him to sell contact lenses holders more than he didn't want to be selling them. And I said, we're going to find them, and I guarantee that you have them. And he didn't like it because he had to drop whatever other stuff he was doing and take me around the store looking. And then, sure enough, we found them. I had to buy a three-pack, incidentally. But the point being that my my brutish willpower just overpowered his, his delicate resistance. And I bought my contact lens holders that he said they didn't sell. So that, to me, is an example of, number one, 
screw target and number two never give up so i'm just the the com- the magazine article new york times magazine called how companies learn your secrets and um it's from 2012 i'll just read one little excerpt excerpt they created a pregnancy prediction model about a year after Pohl created his pregnancy prediction model, a man walked into a Target outside Minneapolis and demanded to see the manager. He was clutching coupons that had been sent to his daughter, and he was angry, according to an employee who participated in the conversation. Quote, my daughter got this in the mail, he said. She's still in high school, and you're sending her coupons for baby clothes and cribs? Are you trying to encourage her to get pregnant? The manager didn't have any idea what the man was talking about. He looked at the mailer. Sure enough, it was addressed to the man's daughter and contained advertisements for maternity clothing, nursery furniture, and pictures of smiling infants. The manager apologized and then called a few days later to apologize again. On the phone, though, the father was somewhat abashed. I had a talk with my daughter, he said. It turns out that there's been some activities in my house I haven't been completely aware of. She's due in August. I owe you an apology. And we'll buy our crib from you. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> All right. Target knows more about your own daughter than you do. So um, I'm going to just make a mark here because I'm going to say some things. So we're 45 minutes in, and I need to start making decisions about the rest of my day slash night, including where I'm going to go swimming, either at Smith Pond or with you down at the uh, Dartmouth Dock. So is this a wrap? Well, I think we could do one. Are you willing to drive one more segment? But can we do like a 15-minute segment? Or do you think we should wrap? Yeah, what's, what, what do we want to talk about? Well, do we want to do the... Um, I mean, do we think we can do foreign toilets in 15 minutes? That might be a two-hour podcast, but we could try. We can tell the Ecuador story. Well, uh, maybe we should. That's too long. Okay. Um... I mean, we can we can talk about how it's strange that South American toilets can do the th- same things that North American toilets can do. So Anna and I have a very good friend. It's her best friend from growing up, still very close. Molly, who's actually been on the podcast. Smart Molly. Smart Molly. You know her. I know her. And I'm going to share some details about Molly today that I don't think she would be mad that I shared because she actually wrote a big article about a lot of them. But And I'm not going to get too detailed about it, but... Uh, Molly has battled depression. She wrote a big article about it. Um, and she's doing great now. She just got married. She's, I think, I actually think the article she wrote about depression, maybe maybe she'd gotten over the hump already and that was the signifier. I'm not really sure. I think depression is something you're with your whole life and that was sort of the point of what she was saying. But we went to visit her in Berlin three years ago and I think that her depression is apropos of this conversation because she was having a pretty down week when we were there. Did she live in Berlin? She still lives in Berlin, and she's married to a Dutch carpenter slash DJ named Christian. They're going to do a European life together. Wow. She's going to get an EU passport and not go to England, apparently. So so we were there, and we had a good time, but it was like June. We were there for a wedding, and the thing about Berlin in June is that it can be like June gloom. It can be very dark, cold. I mean, it's light until 11 at night, but it definitely can have some just weather patterns that are indicators that it truly is in Northern Europe, and you realize why some of like the Germanic tendencies are there. So there were some gray days. There were some days where... 
Molly didn't have a ton of chutzpah to get up and kind of be the tour guide. And she even had a couple days where she was like more often than not kind of curled up in the bed on the computer. It wasn't a huge day. So you can just imagine a situation where there might have been a little bit of stagnant air, a little bit of just sort of like just kind of a depressive haze around the situation where we were crashing. But if you add to that the fact that when you take a dump in Germany, which you do a fair amount, the combination of the travel, the schnitzel, the delicious beer, you poop on a shelf. You don't poop in the water. You take like they have this situation where there's a big shelf that then drops down to a small water hole. And just to be fair to Germany, that's all of Europe. It's all of Europe, but I mean, I would say that like a a gloomy June Berlin really accents that feature. If you're in Porto Ercole in, you know, an hour north of Rome, um, watching the yachts come in for the season and you're shitting on a shelf, it's really not so bad. You ride one of the bikes that's at the house down to the water and jump in and look at some topless sunbathers. I mean, there's if you're in if you're in Kreuzberg and you've eaten Donner kebab for your last three meals and the person you're staying with doesn't feel like getting out of bed till two in the afternoon and you're not opening the windows because it's so cold and the shower is either 180 degrees or 40 degrees because you can't figure it out and on top of all you're shitting on a shelf it's a cause of major concern because i will say and this is pretty in-depth this is pretty gross but the one thing about the water is that it really covers up the smell if you think the bathroom smells when you take a shit in the u.s you should just shit out in the open on the floor and smell it. It's like 10 times worse. And that's what shitting on a shelf is like. It's directly below your nose as the crow flies. You've taken a, just a big loaf and it's just hanging right there. And until you're done, you are smelling that thing until you try to. And then, of course, the water pressure isn't enough to really get it to go down. And there's a giant poop streak on the shelf when you're done with it. So I just don't understand a country that is the headquarters of Audi and BMW and Porsche and who is the world leader in wind energy and, you know, has made semiconductors, Simmons, and, you know, has an incredibly strong-minded, progressive female president in Angela Merkel, how they're shitting on a shelf over there. I don't get it. So you you think very clearly that water is just hands down the best system. I don't know what the best system is, but like pooping on a like flat dry area that's directly below your face while you're finishing up is not the best system. Now, you were at Tim's bachelor party in Santa Cruz with that Japanese toilet, right? I wasn't there, but I heard the stories. Yeah, but I was afraid to use it because of all the use it was getting. I was there. I feel like Japanese toilets are really nice. I get why everyone loves them. But if 20 guys in a house or 15 guys in a house who have been partying for three straight nights are all using the same Japanese toilet, to me as an entrepreneur, that means that there's an opportunity in another toilet that's low tech in a different part of the house. Okay, that's that's logical. That's human human psychology in a nutshell. Um, but how do you think the poop shelf connects to... Um, 
the Chilean toilet paper in the trash can situation. Well, so, I mean, for the, for those of, of us who have been to South America, and if you haven't been, then go because it's amazing. Um, South America has many terrific things about it. It's got beautiful people. It's got beautiful weather. It's got incredible food. It's got fantastic wine. It has some of the hands-down most gorgeous, picturesque scenery you'll ever come across on this planet or any other. It has a vibrant culture. It has... It's a whole package. It's a whole package. It's true. It's all true. And great... Yeah, the people are amazing. The people are amazing. Warm, friendly, caring, everything. So that's that's South American. I've... I've never had a bad time down there. Um, even when I've been food poisoned, I've been kind of happy that I'm suffering from food poisoning in such a beautiful, caring, romantic place. Yeah, diarrhea is exotic in South America. I agree with you. <laughs> exactly. It has our sunburns. So, so anyway, I I love what I'm trying to say is that I've I've been I haven't been all over South America, but I've been to a number of countries i've been to ecuador i've been to argentina i've been to chile i've been to you know a, a decent you know number of, of of places in it and i love so many things about it and i've never had a bad time every time i leave i'm wanting to go back my opinion could not be higher but i will say this i will say this that i found it from the moment I went down there and every subsequent time and interaction I've had with this, very tremendously disconcerting that you are under stern instructions that when you use the bathroom, the toilet paper doesn't go in the toilet, it goes in the trash can next to the toilet. Is is that a fair statement? I mean, is that is that accurate? Yeah, well, because it's like the, it's the, their, their plumbing processing facilities can't handle it. They can't handle it, and so there's there's a f- there's a few things we can talk about here. N- number one is just that breaking habit as a human being is very difficult. If if you told me that instead of brushing my teeth with toothpaste, I had to brush my teeth with um, you know, like you know, margarine or tal- talcum powder. I mean, that that would be a strange thing for me to get used to. If you if you told me that instead of, you know, getting into bed and going to sleep, I had to crawl onto like, you know, a, an armchair and sleep sitting up like a horse, you know, that would be very confusing to get used to. And if you tell me that I have to make a different motion when I'm on the bathroom and instead of, you know, a, a downward pitch, uh, a lateral movement to toss toilet paper sideways into the trash can that sits next to you. It's very difficult. It's it really it really is. It's hard to get used to, um, and on top of this is like this like great fear of of what happens if I disobey. Like how bad are the consequences? Is it is it some situation where it turns out they're bluffing and they just don't want gringos throwing toilet paper down? Or will the toilet explode? <laughs> or or will the toilet explode and like do thirty thousand pesos worth of damage to the pipes? That your American Express card gets billed for. Right. And you don't know and you're afraid to push the boundaries. But you always forget anyways. I mean, you always end up putting some down there. <laughs> right. But you catch yourself and then you feel guilty, which is even worse. 
And of course, the great irony is all you do when you go to South America is shit. So it's like this is something that you have to really. This isn't some. Because all you do is eat. It, right. But it's like this isn't a superfluous detail. This is something that you got to, you know, tune in with when you're there. Yeah, you, you can't really. Um you can't really just sort of like kick the can down the road. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna have to deal with that. So so there's that there's that issue. Um, then secondly, there's the logistics where I think there's a lot of uh, how can I say this? There's there's a lot of cultural differences between countries where I think there's not a black and white good and better. A lot of things are just done differently. For example, in 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 Europe. Um, you're going to eat a smorgasbord of, you know, bread and cheeses in the morning. And in America, maybe it's more yogurt and fruit centric. And I'm not trying to say one's better or worse. It's just sort of what you're running into. And maybe in Japan, you're eating fish or something like that. And they're all delicious and they all have their merits. So in some countries, you're going to get the parliamentary system. And in other countries, you're going to get the electoral college. And again, I'm not trying to say that one's inherently better or worse than the other. Um the shell and, the the poop shelf is worth worse yeah and what i'm what i'm getting at is that if if you ask me is there a sort of is are there any redeeming attributes to throwing toilet paper in a trash can instead of flushing it the answer is no there's no possible case you can make you you could be william jennings bryan the most silver-tongued orator in the history of mankind, and you cannot make the case to me that you're better off throwing away toilet paper. Nobody could. And so it just, it begs the question, why? Why can you not engineer toilets? Because Americans, let's face it, we, di we didn't invent toilets that could flush toilet paper in the last five years. These, these are not the Tesla of plumbing. Uh, we didn't invent toilets that could do it when the internet came out. We've been, as far as I know, flushing toilet paper for for a big chunk of time, many, many decades. And it's kind of like having, you know, uh, being nuclear powered. I mean, if, if it's 1947 and you're not a nuclear armed nation, then OK. I mean, I get it. America developed the technology and we were kind of leading the field at that point. But 50 years later, let's look around and Israel's got them and France has them and UK has them and Russia has them and China has them. And, you know, nuclear power is not such a far-fetched exotic thing. It's been around for a long time. That's my point with toilets. It's not some brand new technology. I understand there's a period of catching up to the leader in the field, but you got to get there at some point. You have to get there at some point. Go catch that lead horse. Well, that's gonna do it, folks. We're just gonna let let you uh, marinate on that one. I, I I think to to hammer your point home, Saul, we've got the greatest engineering country in the world, and their their toilets literally make a shelf. Um, so, the, the, okay, the, we're we're done. But the the shelf is arguably an aesthetic question, but whether pipes can handle paper or not. Is well, much more about a willingness to just achieve a greater form of technology. Well, I would argue that the German situation is the same. But on that note, um, we've loved having you here on Landline this episode and all our episodes. And if you like the show, please share it with a friend. 
tell them to check it out on iTunes. Find it on Stitcher. Here's an idea. Send someone, send your best friend a postcard with the address of a landline podcast episode on the postcard. That sounds great. What a great treat to get in the Pe- mail. People are still making great postcards too. Like, and I, you know, everyone's always like, "Oh, let's get a postcard from when I travel." Sometimes it's fun to look at the postcards that represent the place you live and see what people are coming up with. There's some beautiful photographs, you know, beautiful little quirky sayings with some sort of uh, resident animal on there in a snowy scene or a scene of foliage or a geyser if you live in Yellowstone, whatever. Instead of an email, send a postcard. Just try it out. See how it feels. St- Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, TalkForLiving.com. Tell a friend. Call the landline, 617-744-1895. Send us an email if you refuse to send a postcard at landlinepodcast at gmail.com. More episodes to come coming up on a relaunch of the show, the famous 50th episode. We're going to put a little money into it and get some technology going. And uh, that's the word, our friends. Stay away from the white sharks in Cape Cod Bay. Try to travel on vacations during the week instead of the weekend. Keep your house vacuumed. I think it's, uh, I did mine last week. Man, is it an upgrade. Um, Let's just quickly mention a couple of seasonal items. Tomatoes, first tomatoes of the season coming in. Zucchini, squash there. Blueberries. Blueberries are here. I'd say probably raspberries, blackberries, right around the corner. High season here. We got green beans, um, possibly corn if you live in New Jersey, but do not be buying corn from Georgia when you live in New England or Oregon from California. Just wait till your corn comes in. That's part of the, that's part of the fun. Go make a pie. Make a tart. Make uh, it crumble. And uh, obviously all the lettuces. Um, I'm sure you've got some new potatoes. Garlic, shallots, onions. The best eating time of the year is upon us. Go to your farmer's market. Um, And that's it, folks. Hope you enjoyed watching the British Open. And uh, enjoy your week. And we'll have more podcasts up to come. Any final words, Saul? Thanks for watching. Saul versus Alex. Alex versus Saul. Podcast, landline. We'll see you next week. Adios. There you have it, folks, another episode of Landline. Thanks for listening. Once again, best thing you can do to help the show is tell a friend, send them a link to the episode, get them to download it on iTunes, sit your parents down, show them how to work iTunes for the first time on their iPhone, and then tell them that one show they would definitely never want to listen to is this one because it completely explodes their entire version of the world that they've held since the 1950s so anyways uh enjoy the show thank you for listening stay tuned for more movie annex coming up and as we approach the fall a little uh souped up version of landline as we go into year three of the sports show with mike and chris and all your other favorites for all you people with babies out there good luck this week and good luck at the pharmacy thanks for listening Adios. Music by the Pitchfork Revolution, Bend, Oregon. <laughs>